0: This is attorney Tallman Manzuri. This is attorney Alexis Steinberg. And, and together, together, we're, we're Legally Blunt. Blunt. Hey, podcast world. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get started, I personally would like to give a nod to the first female presidential nominee. And that's really exciting. Yeah.
1: I, I love her personally.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, leave your politics aside. I, I just think it's a remarkable thing that we have our first female presidential nominee and, and you know. Hashtag girl boss. That's right. <laughs> Hashtag badass bitches. That's right. Um, so that, I think, is remarkable. We also have a California initiative for the recreational legalization of marijuana that is officially going to be on the ballot.
1: Which, again— Majorly progressive
0: and very exciting. I know I like to use the word "exciting." And but. the Democratic Party platform actually sort of embraces marijuana. Uh, that was part of Bernie Sanders' platform, and they got yes, it in there. It was. So um, you know, Hillary can still distance herself from that, but it's officially part of the platform. Do you know exactly what Hillary's stance is? She's taken the very safe stance of, "I support medical research. That's the political stance, ladies and gentlemen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what you expect from a politician. But the AUMA, which is the Adult Use Marijuana Act, will be appearing on the November ballot in California, which makes a recreational California.
0: That's right. And it's only taken us 20 years to get here since the Compassionate Use Act, and it's polling at over 60%. So we can talk more about it with our guest who's here today. He is a lobbyist. I don't know if that's his preferred word or not.
2: Depends on who I'm with.
0: (laughs) And most importantly we're going to be talking about the how the AUMA sort of reinvigorates local politics under marijuana. And we have Mr. Adam Spiker here. He is with Spiker Consulting Group. They're based out of downtown Los Angeles. Adams a wealth of knowledge on on the local level, on the
1: state level. Any question that I ask may tell me tall goes. Call Adam. <laughs> and so that, that's where I end up.
0: Maytall, do you know if Orange County has a band? I'm like, uh. Call, let's call Adam. Adam.
1: <laughs> it's well, the new, like, it used to be call Maytal, call Saul. Now it's call Adam. <laughs> I,
2: I, you know, I, I think part of that as well is, you know, the, there's a trust between us all. And if I don't know, I'm not going to lie to you and, you know, and, and just guess, you know, like the question you had, fairly certain, but I didn't know for, for sure on, on Orange County. But, it was a very educated guess.
0: I would like to know mm-hmm. how you got into being Phenomenal involved question. in the marijuana industry.
2: Our company's background is that my grandfather started it. He was the chief legislative analyst in the city of L.A. And uh, I'd say 31 years ago, started our consulting firm. Part of his work with the city is, is he set up and helped get off the ground an, an association of governments uh, for L.A. County. And these, these were cities that basically had commonalities that they wanted to coalesce around to lobby the county, the state, that group is the independent cities association. And, uh, I'd say it was about two years ago that they had asked for us to put together a a panel for their membership to educate them on cannabis. And that meant we had to go get educated on how to put together a well-rounded panel so that they could get the best education possible on the issue and once we did that industry folks started calling us asking about representing them and you know my father and who obviously is now the owner of the company was very hesitant but um I think where we where he made the decision and I was pushing him towards it is that it's not about whether you believe in the in in cannabis or not i, I haven't come across a city yet that doesn't have it in some capacity in their city so when you put it in that context, I would argue that advocating for the best of the best for local, state, um, you know, whatever level of government is actually doing a service because you're giving them the opportunity to regulate, to tax, and to oversee it to provide transparency. You know, the palatability from cities to look at this seriously is changing to the benefit of the industry every day
0: the number probably one question we get besides, you know, how do I open a business is where is the best place to open a business? I'm sure you get that question more than we do. Our response is, hold on, let me open my crystal ball and take a look. Or call Adam. (laughs) Or call Adam.
3: (laughs) Uh,
2: To be honest, it's it's changing daily. You know, Huntington Park just licensed the industry into it. Certainly, you know, we're, I'm sure going to talk more about LA, but that's going to be a big opportunity, if we have any say-so in it, for others to come in and have the, uh, the ability to compete and bring best practices to the city. Los Angeles County is certainly talking about it for unincorporated areas. And I think you're seeing more and more cities going down that path. And some are just being more prudent than others about every angle of it is possible because it's you know, there's no doubt it's still a polarizing issue.
0: So you said you're that bridge. Uh, so if, a you know, if a person contacts you and says, you know, hi, I got your information from, let's say, Maytal and we're looking to establish a medical marijuana business in a city that is open or is about to open up, and they say we prefer, you know, this region of Southern California or whatever it is they say— um, What would you advise them? Would you tell them, you know, stick to L.A.? Would you tell them to go out to Riverside? Would you tell them?
2: I wouldn't get detailed with anyone unless there's someone we're working with because that's just kind of proprietary information. But I would say don't put all your eggs in one basket. I tell everyone that. Anyone in my line of work that says I will 100% tell you you can do this is lying to you. There's no way to completely mitigate risk in in dealing in the political world. But also at the same time, don't go chasing every single opportunity that's out there. Be disciplined. Um, You know, this is going to be a long-term play. Cities are going to continue to open up. Counties are going to continue to open up. And part of what we do is try and educate them on what's coming down the pike before it's more public. You know, and, and then they can make their decisions about what they want to do for their personal business after giving them that kind of information.
0: Do you think that one benefit of the Adult Use of Marijuana Act rather than the MMRSA is that politicians can freely sort of address the issue without this kind of medical – Stigma attached to it; they can say, "Okay, now it's completely legal," you know, or it will be recreationally.
2: I don't think it matters. Um, I don't think it's going to help in a general sense with cities that that AUMA passes. I think they're getting. I think they're getting more and more comfortable, just in general, that the states recognize the industry, if that makes sense.
1: So Proposition D governs the medical marijuana businesses in Los Angeles. Um, Poorly. Poorly, (laughs) but it does. And our city attorney, Mike Fuhrer, has made it very clear that Prop D does not create licenses or permits for these medical marijuana businesses, that they enjoy what's called a limited immunity, which I think, quote unquote, could be called bullshit. (laughs) Um, But that's my opinion. So now that we've got the MMRSA, which requires you to have a local license before you can get a state license, and we have the AOMA that everybody's kind of gearing up for, um, what kind of changes are we seeing in the city council in LA County and LA City specifically? Because that's where Prop D kind of rears its ugly head.
2: First off, uh, it's becoming more and more apparent to the council that this is an issue they have to address, and I think for a, a good while post Prop D, they felt like they dealt with the issue. You know, I think they're getting more and more understanding of the fact they have to act if they want to have a say so in it. Otherwise, as we've seen, there's some groups that that will just go to the voters directly and take that decision making away from the city council.
0: And do you think that the city council in Los Angeles is motivated to? reform Proposition D?
2: Yeah, I, I, I do. I don't, they, no one, no one in, in that arena of politics wants someone to make the decisions for them by going to the voters directly. Uh, you know, I think they are going to want to step up and put together a mechanism that they all support that uh, would then go to the, the voters in March with their blessing.
1: Do you think the city council understands the gravity of the issue? Um, you know, there's, the, half of them that we've sat down with at least, you know, it's a game of educating them, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what your job is as a lobbyist to to educate um, these people who are in power um, and in implementing all of these laws. Do you think that they actually understand how this – industry works and why it's so necessary to have these things versus like just a yearning to have some sort of a permit or a license?
0: Yeah, you took the, the words right out of my mouth.
2: No, they're, they're they're not as educated as they need to be on it. But I I, I don't say that as a as a slight. Uh, there's a lot of complexities to it. I don't think I'm as, edu- you know, I don't think everyone knows everything about this industry and the ramifications, long term, short term. There's just a lot of variables to it. AUMA is a good example. That's a variable that's going to be hard to predict how it fits into the state if it gets passed. They are all showing a willingness to understand it now, which for us is all we could ask for. You know, have an open mind. It's getting to a point where there's a lot of stakeholders involved in it that are all going to the city council now and and advocating for their positions. And that's just going to that's kind of creating a little bit of confusion um, but
0: are you talking about? So you're saying there's different industry associations that are separately going to city council?
2: Sure. There's a there's a number of groups that have been here predating Prop D. There's new ones that are coming into the fold. There's stakeholder groups that that um, are arising from the city. There's outside groups.
0: Are they competing with each other?
2: I think they all believe that there's sh- the industry needs to be licensed. I think there's higher level issues they probably all agree on. I think they all agree that. You know, the taxes should be as low as possible so that there's a competitiveness. I think they all want as much as uh, – I can't say that. I don't think they all think there should be as much opportunity <laughs> for the industry. But there's, there's higher-level issues a vast majority of them agree on. But when you get into the subtleties of specific types of businesses that maybe they're focusing on, certainly, there, you know, there's different palatability to segments of the industry that make it hard for, for unity.
0: So the devil's in the details.
2: Yeah, you know that's my term. I, <laughs>
0: I know, you. that's, that's why I stole it from you. <laughs> There's a- also <laughs> power
1: in numbers, but I, I, part of me, like my inner core really thinks that although power in numbers is such a true statement, I feel that these competing groups at some junction in the road do more harm
0: than good. Well, even if they're not competing, some of them are parallel right? They might not actually directly compete, but even not being one,
2: There's redundancy, definitely. The biggest issue we will have as an industry in general is um, if there's not a unified voice that that is driving a concise message to the council, you definitely bring in a broader likelihood that they might not really know what to do with it. Uh, And the reason I say that just because, again, this is a polarizing issue. So they know each of those council members, there's going to be constituents in their respective districts that are going to give them hell for doing anything on this if they do. And so on the other side of that, if you have the industry where you know now that some of them are not going to be happy if you do take a position on this, you're basically going to get it from both ends by agreeing to support something for the industry. So. Part of it is about you know, an organized message trying to say, hey, we're with you. We all or a vast majority of us think we believe in X, Y, Z positions and we will back you, you know, to the hilt you know, if you consider those. I think that's powerful because that starts you know, drowning out some of the, the negatives they know they would get on the other side from constituents that, that don't want it in, you know, in their communities.
0: Are there council – you don't have to name names, obviously, but are there council members that you feel are for it for sure and there are some that are against it for sure and there are swing votes? Or do you think there's like a majority anywhere?
2: Yeah, I think that's too early to tell. Are there some that are against it completely? Yes. Are there some that are for it? Yes. I can't say that there's a, a majority one way or the other because I think that will depend on what they're ultimately going to agree to on the on a framework. There's, again – you know, if it was a yes/no on do we need to do something for this industry, I think there's a majority. But how you, you know, define what that yes is, that's where there's disagreements, and that's what we're trying to iron through.
1: What do you think the conversation is behind closed doors?
2: Which closed doors? I don't
1: know. <laughs> the secret ones, the with, ones with the locks in and all. What's <laughs> happening
3: there?
2: Um you know those are behind closed doors for, no skin um hey I, you know i I think they're all over the spectrum, you know colleague to colleague i I would imagine those conversations are are probably trying to figure out what you off the record are thinking and and right. you know because ultimately you know if if a vote does come before November second on a on a resolution support from the council. That's their
0: deadline, is November 2nd? No, November
2: 2nd, if they want to put something council-blessed on the March ballot. Um, Does
1: it have to be blessed? Do you have to be blessed by the council?
3: <laughs>
2: no, you, you don't. But, um, you know, the, the UCBA group, that's uh, an industry group, you know, they – They are intimating that they're going to go to the voters directly, which means—
0: They've filed an initiative. Let's back up. So UCBA is a group that filed an initiative with the city of Los Angeles. It's a proposed ordinance that would be on the March ballot, and they still have to gather signatures. But what it would do essentially is grandfather in— um, the pre ICOs and it, it qualifies who can qualify for that, but it's basically the 135 list, and they have priority access to almost every, every license license until uh, you know 2018, and then it would open up the market.
2: I believe the opening up would then be at the council's discretion. That's right. To answer your question, it doesn't have to be blessed by the council, but. Um, it helps. I, I mean, th- th- that that would show the voters that um, the industries agreed with the legislative body on a suggested path forward to the constituency. That's a that's a huge plus. When you do a citizens initiative, typically, you know, that's because the city hasn't worked with you on the terms you want, um, or you just are you just want to bypass them completely. And you know, I, I that's just not a. That's, that's not a pathway we want to be going down as a as a consulting firm that likes to work with a lot of cities and counties.
0: What do you think our listeners can do to access their city council member and voice their concern or support for the cannabis industry right?
1: So what would, like what would you say to somebody who their city potentially has a ban and they want to start that conversation?
2: In, in any city council meeting in any public hearing, there's always a public comment section. Any constituent can go down to those meetings and, in that public comment section, voice their opinion to their, to their legislative body. That's number one. Number two, you know, you could always call your council offices, um, you can write them letters, you can try and organize others. Beyond that, just to be candid, I, that's probably the reason why people like us are in business, is to kind of help folks like that take it to the next level and ensure that their voice is heard. Um, We typically don't represent constituents, but, um, you know, I think industry in general, that's, you know, I mean, that's why the Cultivators Alliance hired us is, you know, for strategizing and and, and things of that nature. But it's ultimately to, um, you know, get their voice heard by the the folks that that may or may not make the decision on their behalf.
0: So our listeners can... Maybe discover who their council member is and contact them. It's Googleable. It's Googleable. And then Always. also maybe get involved with a local organization, which might um, be involved with someone like yourself. And get their voice heard that way,
2: even if they're not involved with people like myself certainly there's a there's a number of groups out there representing the industry trying to build a grassroots type uh, lobbying effort. I think those can be very powerful. You know, frankly, if we're talking any city right now, if you're currently operating in a city that has a ban or has not enacted an ordinance, my advice would be to try and figure out a way to Get to a uh, a position of having a license because in a regulated world when this when this does become regulated by the state, they're going to be more forceful in in regulating it. They have to that's how they've sold it. Uh, part of the way they've sold it is that they're trying to not only legalize it but clean up the black market and which is anyone so that doesn't have yeah. a local license right now, whether you want to believe it or not you're you're operating in the black market right now,
0: yeah. And, um, you know, we always get questions about how can I operate legally, I want to get a license. And I always have to clarify, we always have to clarify with people that you actually can't get a license in most places, we can get you compliant with state law to the best of our ability. But To really be legitimate and be in position for a license under the Medical Cannabis Regulation and Safety Act, you need to have a local license. You know, it's such an interesting and different environment from what it was before the MMRSA. What do you think about manufacturing? Do you think that's welcome in the city of L.A.?
2: My opinion is it will be. I think it's more an argument uh, about to what extent. But I do think it's going to be a part of it, yeah. I I think, in my opinion, the hardest lifts— politically in the city of L.A. are increasing the amount of stores.
0: Why do you, you think that is?
2: I think it's in everyone's head that 135 is the number to work off of. I have no idea how it it's even came to fallacy. fruition. It's such a fallacy.
0: It's such a legal um, fallacy.
2: Why wouldn't you have as open a process as right. possible that made as much of the current industry feel like they have a legitimate chance towards a license? Because that way, I mean, you know, frankly, that's what would give them the information on where these people are or want to mm-hmm. operate you know if they don't if they don't get licensed uh, for whatever reason they don't qualify they don't they don't meet background checks or whatever the criteria is going to be you know with an application they're going to have to say who they are where they're
3: right. where they're
2: located that might seem like a mean thing to say but it's part <laughs> of the argument to the city that i think that's been a powerful argument they would certainly like to know where everyone is and you know i think that's for each individual operator they're going to have to decide whether they want to you know, kind of come out of the shadows expose to expose that information. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but again, if it's, if the process is as open as, you know, I, I feel like more and more of them would take that chance. And I, I would course. encourage them to, because if they don't, um the city is going to have more ability to come after them in a more regulated environment. It'll be more black and white on what they can do. I mean, there are definitely talks about a lot more teeth in their regulation, huge, huge fines, things of that nature that I, I do think is going to be part of any suggestion the city
1: mm-hmm. makes. So you talked about one thing that you think is the most difficult to implement in LA, but you had a list of three. So what are the other two?
2: Yeah, so we touched on on trying to, you know, expand the number of stores in a licensed environment. I think, you know, the second one is going to be, you know, just the taxation in general at the local level. Trying to keep that as low as possible for the industry uh, and as competitive as other cities, counties around L.A. continue to, um, you know, to license this. And then I think the third one is certainly the the delivery component. I do think there's ways to get that done, but you know, again, to use my favorite term, the devil's in the details of <laughs> how that. Those, those are the three, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion. That's a that, good list. Store yeah.
1: number tax.
2: And delivery.
1: Yeah. yeah. So among um, many of Adam Spiker's roles. He is the lobbyist for a group in Los Angeles called Cultivators Alliance that Maytal and I represent the interests of. And it's a group of growers in Los Angeles um, that is currently lobbying LA City Council for permitting and licensing. And um, Adam is one of our front runners and our face of our movement, if you will.
0: And we're lucky enough to have Adam in studio. And we are also lucky enough to have the president of Cultivators Alliance in studio with us. Um, we If you wave, Eric, it doesn't catch you on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Eric is waving.
2: We've all had our issue with that, so don't feel bad. Alexa
1: did air quotes earlier. Yeah. Air quotes. It's sort of like when you appear in court and you like nod a yes and the judge goes, "Uh, could you, is that a yes or a no? For the record, please. For the record. So they
3: can't see me blushing and looking sheepish right now either? They can feel it.
1: (laughs) For the listeners, Eric's looking very handsome this afternoon.
3: Aw, shucks.
0: Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Cultivators Alliance stands for many things, one of which is getting like, Licensing for cultivators, for manufacturers. We talked um, the other day a little bit about why we think the 135 list or the list of pre-ICO dispensaries is inaccurate or unjust. What, what's your take on that?
3: On the 135, definitely there's a lot of people I think that are left out that should be put into it. There's a lot of old activists that for one reason or another were unable to maintain or jump through the hoops and hurdles to get to the 135. As we all know, the pre-moratorium number was 229. So to kind of arbitrarily cut it off like that in this day and age seems a little bit crazy. We all know we're in a city of 4 million people, so that have 135 shops for 4 million people. Plus, if you take in the surrounding areas, it's just not going to be enough. Working on making that number bigger is definitely something I think that everybody should keep in mind and look at as a positive thing.
0: So you're obviously very busy. You, you, know, you have you know, your own gig, and you also are the president of Cultivator's Alliance. What drives you to put in so many hours for an organization that doesn't pay you, frankly, and you just volunteer your time to really spearhead this movement?
3: Well, I think part of it, uh, when I first started in this industry 11 years ago in West Hollywood, it was really about the activism. And for me, just producing things really is something that is important to me. And I just generally think as Americans, like we've always been known as a great manufacturing country. And so I feel like we're kind of living that legacy that our forefathers gave us. And so looking at at uh, this industry, it's very rare in human experience that you have the opportunity to help a whole new commodity open up. And so to be a part of that and being part of a cause that's really bigger than yourself is kind of a humbling experience to have happen. So for me, what drives me is I just really want to see this industry come in and be a California industry because I love California. And so I want to see uh, the cannabis industry becomes synonymous with California just like tech or any other Californian industry that we have. And that's kind of what drives and it it
0: kind of already is, right?
3: I think so. Uh, in, in the case of Los Angeles, there's still the case that anybody in the cultivation side and manufacturing side has a look over their shoulder, uh, fear of being arrested, also fear of being robbed by gangs because you can't go to the police and gangs all know this. And so we are perpetually victimized and the sad thing is is a lot of us do pay taxes on this and so in some ways we are paying the same people that come to arrest us and so it's, it's a bit of That's an crazy. irony that <laughs> it, it so used to be there for irony. the dispensaries as well you know it's just it's just working to get through this and uh, you know bringing all of us into the next the next century I mean we're not in the 1900s anymore where prohibition was all the rage like we're in the 2000s now and I think everybody knows Uh, cannabis is only going one way and that's not the way of prohibition. Uh, The other side I think for people is shops are generally accepted as legal in California. For most people, they don't even look at the medical context. They say, oh, you know, it's marijuana is legal in California, which, you know, effectively it's not too tough to get a note. So it's not too far from reality. But what isn't addressed is where does the marijuana come from? And there's nothing. Good point. There's nothing stated in that how people are, these shops are supposed to get it. And obviously they've been supplied by Angelinos that love their city and want to contribute to it and create quite a big workforce, making living wage manufacturing jobs. So we really just want to see them get recognized and hopefully not too many more cultivators are going to go to jail before this all gets fixed and we can all, all be happy, productive members of society.
1: What do you say to cultivators and really anybody in this industry in Los Angeles that wants to get involved?
3: Show up at the meetings. Obviously, you know, donate money if you can. We're a volunteer group, but uh, we we do have to pay a lot of professionals to keep it going. Politics costs money. But another part of it is just being active. If you can't afford too much, just do whatever you can. Sometimes just show up, be a warm body. There will be times where we're going to show up at events and we just will need as many people to come support us as we can. Or at the very least, when something does come on the ballot that we're going to support, get to the polls and vote for it. I I, I would just add as well that... uh,
2: the Cultivators Alliance has been extremely open to anyone that does get involved in making sure their voice is heard. We we know that we don't have every answer. There's such a robust creativity in this industry that anyone's voice is definitely heard and appreciated with the Cultivators. I think that's a real important separator.
0: Absolutely. Eric is a you know a nice young man from the Midwest, and he takes you know employment very seriously, getting people employed in the city of LA. He also takes on the issue of um, you know the inequity in the industry when it comes to minority ownership and minority representation. And I know that most of your organization is comprised of minorities, and also that the Cultivators Alliance has a partnership with the California Minority Alliance and I just wanted you to explain to our listeners how important that is.
3: Aside with the activism that's really what drives me. I grew up in a Rust Belt town in the Midwest where the jobs all left you know so growing up in a depressed economy where there's no jobs for anybody to go it's it's sad to see that happen to any city. There's a saying that, you know, I wasn't born here, but I got here as fast as I could. I love this city. Los Angeles has been my home for well over a decade now, and this I'd never really want to live anywhere else. And so I'd like the opportunity to give back to the city everything that it's gave me because this city's changed me for the better in a lot of ways. Getting to the minority aspect of it we all can see a lot of inequities in our society when it comes to minority ownership. And it's definitely something that should be encouraged and promoted. And with the minority alliance, Virgil and Donnie over there, those guys are great. And they speak a lot about their community, which has been particularly victimized by the drug war. If you look at South Central and people of color, they've tended to be hit a lot harder with the unequal application of laws. And so it's good to understand where that comes from and definitely encourage them to try to take more of an active role in business ownership because I think I think a lot of cases when you're in more of a marginalized segment of society you don't necessarily see the opportunities that you see if you're not in such a marginalized segment of society and so that being the case to kind of encourage it and hopefully it will help create role models within that community so that other people in the community can start looking and say oh these guys are owning and running their own businesses. I can do it too, you know. And from there, it kind of everything filters up, and people kind of who are doing better pull people who aren't up up to their level. And we all, as a community, can can strive and all pull pull each other up and be better.
0: I know the social justice issue is something that drives us every day, and I think it's super important that it drives Cultivators Alliance. One of the the biggest reasons why regulation is so important at the local level. Adam, maybe you can speak to whether that's on city council's radar at all.
2: Uh, I definitely think it is, um, you know, they're very cognizant in, in, in whatever they do as a, a political body that um, it tries to match um, or at least mirror the, the, the demographics of a, you know, a, you know a, a thankfully melting pot environment in the city. So, um, so it's definitely, uh, it's definitely on their minds, um, and I think it's something we need to continue to push because I think that's part of the argument for more expansion and whatever they're going to suggest going forward is to incorporate – I don't want to say just minorities. I, I think we're arguing for expansion in general, but I, you know, I just think that's a very compelling argument to them to justify expansion.
0: One particularly interesting issue to me always is that a lot of these regulations that are coming out forbid applicants from having a felony for controlled substances in the past. And that negatively affects, uh, you know, people of color and lower socioeconomic status. And so that can um, actually per se prohibit an applicant from that pool of applicants and not something that um, we're also working to try and bring to the consciousness of our industry.
3: Yeah, I think there's two general just philosophical viewpoints that our society has. There's one that's going to look at it and say, why are we rewarding people who broke the law and letting them have preferential treatment or not to get permits? And I think from the activist side, you look and say, medical marijuana was always in a gray area even from the retail side and if it wasn't for people stepping up and breaking the law and really through that having the state kind of define what the law really should be that none of us would be here if it wasn't people going to jail all through the late 90s early 2000s up you know all the way up until 2009 and a little bit after the people who are in that the safe space in our industry now wouldn't be there without Kind of the political martyrs going to prison before that you know
2: yeah I, I would the other thing is is you know we're we're advocating for you know merit you know the municipality should strive for the best coming in to to have that privilege of uh, of a license and operating. How the hell do you get merit unless you are already an operator and know what the hell you're doing right so it's an, kind of it's just such an oxymoron when you think of it that way when you're you know like Eric said when when you know, folks have been taking the hit for years and years on behalf of the industry, getting rated and fighting it and and um, and speaking up. You know, those are the folks that know what they're doing because right. they've been doing it so long. Whereas you know, you get newspaper articles here and there where you know there's um, you know fires from butane accidents, and you don't hear very much about that in more regulated states like Colorado that have had a head start in the rate they know what they're doing and they're allowed to, they've been encouraged those that know what they're doing to get licenses and and to continue in a safe way so I, that's one of the things that troubles me when you when you look at it generally is that you know you want the best of the best you know but then you want to shut down those folks while you're trying to license them it it just
0: it's mind-boggling. It is.
2: It just doesn't make sense.
1: Do you think, and either either Eric or Adam can address this question, do you think that there are certain groups of individuals that should be excluded from being able to get a permit or a license that have some sort of a record, if you will? Because I know the MMRSA doesn't allow you to get a license, and they specifically say like violent felonies, and it has nothing to do with drug-related or, or substance charges,
3: Worst case scenario, let's take people who have been convicted over and over of cases like multiple times of that for sure. Like, you know, it's it's an easier case to make that, you know, maybe those people shouldn't participate, but even even then, like, I understand the philosophical argument saying, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't keep them cast out of society forever and we should let them come back in. So it's, you know, everybody's going to have an opinion on this one.
2: It's really painting with a very broad brush. You, You really wish it could be looked at you know, like Eric said, on a, on a case-to-case basis because, you know, the details of what happened with someone's felony or how long they've been, been re- rehabilitated. Tough argument either way because I don't think there's resources to look at each case by case. And to me personally, I, I, why not allow them to apply? And if a local municipality doesn't feel like their application, you know, um, meets their standards, whether they're Factoring that in or not, you know, at least they had the opportunity. That's just just an opinion, though. I, I think some of those issues um, tie more into some of the education or, or lack of on how drugs, quote unquote, are tied to crime and how cannabis is tied to all drugs. And so you you always hear about the the parallels between drug and crime and the the overlap and kind of that gateway status, uh, so to speak. And I think that's the reason that it's in MMRSA.
1: And the cities kind of get to be the gatekeeper of that, right. you mm-hmm. know. If they put some sort of regulation that somebody convicted of some sort of crime can't apply for a license, obviously that individual can't get to the state to apply for a license either.
2: Correct. It's a it's a moot point. If you don't have local authority, you're not going to be considered by the state, except for distribution.
0: Exactly. Well, there's so we could go on and on and on. Thank you both so much for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for having us. Enjoyed our conversation.
2: Anytime. And, uh,
0: Adam, where can our listeners find you?
2: Spikerconsultinggroup.com. My phone number, email, everything is on there. A little bit more background on our company. And, um, I'm sure they could find me through you, too, as well.
1: Thanks. And, and Eric, Eric, what about yeah. you? And how, Eric. Can, how can our listeners find you, Eric, and or Cultivators Alliance?
3: Well, for me, you can email me at cultivatorsalliance at gmail.com. Or you can go to cultivatorsalliance.com and look up our fine organization.
1: You can find us at legally-blent.com or mansurilaw.com. Or on Instagram, our handle is at 420attorneys.
0: This is Attorney
1: Tallman Manzuri. And this is Attorney Alexa Steinberg. Thanks for joining us as we navigate the, the weeds, weeds of cannabis, cannabis justice. justice.